This week, a researcher from Tenable reveals vulnerabilities in MicroTik routers at the recent DerbyCon conference. Wi-Fi versions will get a new name that people can understand. Don't accept Facebook's second friend requests, which is a scam that we'll talk about. Google Plus exposed 500,000 users' data, and Google made a very rash decision about what to do with Google Plus. Weak passwords are being banned in California, and a code execution bug in malicious repositories reported by the Git project. Eugene from Acunetics will join us to talk about the recent resurgence of cross-site scripting vulnerabilities using British Airways and Newegg as examples. All that and more on this episode of Hack Naked News. This is Security Weekly. For security professionals, by security professionals. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show that brings you the security news each week. And despite popular belief, we do wear pants. It's Hack Naked News. Do you have a website, an external presence, employees, an office? Any of these things can be compromised and attacked. How are you defending your assets? Have you penetration tested your public assets? Start 2018 by taking a proactive approach to securing your vulnerable areas. Black Hills Information Security has been helping companies find their weaknesses since 2008. Email consulting at blackhillsinfosec.com and see how they can help you sleep better at night. Welcome, everyone, to Hack Naked News, episode number 192 for October 9th, 2018. I'm your host, Paul Asadorian, broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, fresh off the heels of the DerbyCon Security Conference. Join us um, for our webcast with Domain Tools this week, how to analyze invest, and investigate malicious JavaScript attacks with myself, Keith Hoodlett, and representatives from Domain Tools. Uh, I can't read the person's name because it's too far away and I'm really old. Securityweekly.com forward slash domain tools to register today. And now, the security news for this week. My former employer, Tenable, which when I worked for them, it was Tenable Network Security. Now it's just Tenable. A Tenable researcher uh, has revealed extended MicroTik router vulnerabilities from the article in April a CVE was issued, CVE 2018-14847 was the vulnerability first reported in MicroTrick routers that have millions of users worldwide uh, worried. Well, maybe they're not so worried because they probably don't know it exists. But people that listen to this show now know that it exists. Uh, however, that initial report indicated the scope of the vulnerability was limited and only had moderate impact. But that's not what Tenable researcher Jacob Baines found. On October 7th at the DerbyCon conference, Baines disclosed how attackers can remotely exploit that flaw without the need for any authentication. The vulnerability also underscores the need for secure and reliable framework. This is my thoughts. A secure and reliable framework that allows companies to manage IoT devices both in development and production without introducing security weaknesses. Microsoft's Azure, Azure Sphere is one such new project that I really like as a solution to this problem, but challenges will persist in the meantime as that project rolls out to embedded device or IoT manufacturers. Wi-Fi versions will get names that people can actually understand and remember. And even us as IT and security practitioners have probably been confused by the alphabet soup of 802.11.com. Uh, so, or 802.11 something. I don't want to say X because X is actually an 
standard uh so 1x uh, so uh this can be confusing and the article does a nice job of summarizing the history the original 802.11 standard was first ratified in 1997 the first extension was 802.11 a in 1999 uh, offering 54 megabits a second at 5 gigahertz frequencies and 802.11 b in the same year offering 11 megabits a second at 2.4 gigahertz then 802.11G, of course, was offered at a higher bandwidth uh, at the lower 2.4 gigahertz frequency, meaning the higher bandwidth at lower range. Meanwhile, the 802.11 offered even higher bandwidth at a better range thanks to its antenna design. Then came 802.11AC in 2013, which offered even more capacity once more using the cleaner 5 gigahertz spectrum. The next generation of Wi-Fi networking technology has been renamed to Wi-Fi 6, which I, I appreciate because if you talk to uh, resident expert Larry Pesci uh, and kind of the, the godfather of wireless uh, security research, Joshua Wright, uh, they're up to speed on all the latest technologies. Those are actually just a few of the 802.11 standards. Don't fall for the Facebook second friend request hoax. And I'm sure those of us that work in IT and security are really annoying, as many of your friends and family are probably posting this. Uh, the article sums it up nicely and asks, why would you have sent a friend request to somebody that you're already friends with? And then why in the world would you uncritically send this message to your Facebook friends? The short answers are that you wouldn't and you shouldn't. Uh, you should delete the message and ignore the instructions to forward it, of course, because, well, it's a hoax. Now, let's not get it confused with attacks uh, with malicious intent um, that will try and succeed at cloning your Facebook profile and trying to become friends with your friends. That's a different attack. Uh, also, Facebook, of course, did have a security incident that was covered last week. It's important to tell your friends and family that these are all separate things working on recording uh, and releasing a Secure Digital Life episode that explains this in a, to non-security and non-IT people in a way that they will understand. So look for that coming up soon. So when you see your friends posting about this, you can just share the great video from Secure Digital Life. How shared pools of cloud computing power are changing the way attackers operate. Now, certainly these trends will continue as more and more companies will move to the cloud and attackers will, will also focus on the cloud. Uh, the article says in the past, it would be easy for researchers and security teams with some experience to identify hosting solutions that were known to originate attacks and put them onto a network blacklist. This was an easy way to blunt a large number of attacks. However, as attackers move to the cloud and cloud services, the fact that there are so many with different tenants on these cloud services make it difficult or impossible to block all these IP ranges. And so the first chance of the attack getting past the network list is increased dramatically. Also, I think this opens up uh, or brings to light more attack vectors that will take advantage of cloud providers to jump into other uh, people's virtual uh, cloud hosted environments is yet another attack that we have to be aware of. Google Plus is shutting down after a vulnerability exposed 500,000 users data. Now, don't cry too hard users of Google Plus, if you're still out there. 
Um, Google is going to shut down its social media network, Google Plus, after the company suffered a massive data breach that exposed the private data of hundreds of thousands of Google Plus users to third-party developers. According to the tech giant, a security vulnerability in one of Google Plus People APIs allowed third-party developers to access data for more than 500,000 users, including their usernames, email address, uh, email addresses, occupation, date of birth, profile photos, and gender-related information. Weak passwords will be banned in California. In my opinion, this is not an effective solution to the IoT security problem. However, the article states that the state of California has passed a law that sets a higher security standard for net-connected devices made or sold in the region. It demands that each gadget be given a unique password when it's made. Before now, easy-to-guess passwords have helped cyber attacks spread more quickly and cause more harm. Obviously, regulation, especially in just one state, is not going to be impactful enough to change this trend. As mentioned earlier, frameworks that are designed to support, basically from soup to nuts, a secure way to deploy and manage IoT devices are a much better approach. Of course, that is going to take time to be adopted. In the meantime, this regulation, I doubt, will have uh, very much impact. A code execution bug in malicious repositories has been resolved by the Git project, preventing attackers from doing harm in software via software development and continuous integration tools will continue to be challenging in my opinion. This is one such example where the article states the command line git clone tool does not correctly sanitize submodule URLs. Um, according to the latest description of the vulnerability, they go on to state that when cloning submodules, for example, using git clone dash dash recurse, recurse dash submodules or git submodule update, the URL of a submodule could be interpreted as a command line argument to git clone if it's prepended with a dash character. With that, we'll take a short break and come back with expert commentary from Eugene at Acunetics, so stay tuned. Today's determined attackers easily bypass even the most advanced network defenses. Trying to ramp up staff to detect their back doors can cost thousands of dollars and take months, even years. With Active Countermeasures AI Hunter, we enable junior analysts to detect even the most advanced back doors in a matter of hours. Sign up for a demo and purchase our product today by visiting activecountermeasures.com forward slash HNN. Active Countermeasures, make every analyst a hunter. Welcome back, everyone, to Hack Naked News. Uh, I would like uh, to invite everyone to visit acunetics.com forward slash security weekly. Uh, those of you that uh, may know Acunetics, know them as a uh, vulnerability and web application scanner. Again, you can go to acunetics.com forward slash security weekly and get more information and try out uh, many of their different solutions uh, as part of a free trial. With me today is Eugene. He works for Acunetics. Welcome to the show. Hey, Paul. Thank you very much for having me. It's nice to have you, Eugene. We're going to talk about some of the recent uh, attacks that were described um, as targeted against British Airways and Newegg that are very much uh, grown in the roots of cross-site scripting, which, as we were talking earlier, Eugene, like, you know, I thought we kind of had this problem largely solved, but, you know, clearly there's, in my opinion, and I'm curious to get your opinion, so many different ways in which to execute um, a cross-site scripting attack that it continues to be kind of that thorn in our side 
uh, as developers and uh, security professionals trying to defend enterprise applications? I mean, two very good points. Um, the first part is nowadays the browser um, will do a very good job at protecting you from cross-site scripting. So that's already a big issue, uh, especially when you uh, when you look at uh, Chrome and XSS Auditor. Um, it, it will go to great lengths to actually protect you uh, from cross-site scripting. And on top of that, generally from a development perspective, um, frameworks actually do a very good job uh, from correctly sanitizing inputs, um, whether this be in template rendering, whether this be in URLs, user inputs, anything of the sorts. Um, nowadays, frameworks do a, a really good job of actually sanitizing uh, that data. So executing JavaScript nowadays um, is becoming harder and harder, mostly because the developer has to think less and less about uh, cross-site scripting. Yeah, um, I, Eugene, I'm kind of, when you describe that, I remember of like days back in the day, where you could take the JavaScript for an alert box and just use that to test for all instances of cross-site scripting, like pretty quick. I mean, rather quickly, I would say that was just like right, like thrown right out the window, largely due to the things you said, right? Browser protections and the various frameworks catching on to that very quickly. Exactly, and, and you see this with other vulnerabilities too, like CSRF. Mm -hmm. So people are going to great lengths to actually solve these issues. Um, and another big point, which you mentioned earlier, is also the type of cross-site scripting you have. And the Risk IQ released two very, very good reports, both on British Airways and Newegg, um, which actually includes the code itself. Very, very simple, between 50 to 22 lines of extremely simple JavaScript. Um, but the key point here is that it's stored cross-site scripting. So you've got different variants. You've got mm -hmm. reflected. Um, DOM-based, blind, um, and stored cross-site scripting is the one that, till today, even within Akinetics, we scratch our heads, we say, okay, um, we report cross-site scripting as a high-severity vulnerability, but is it? Um, but when it comes to stored cross-site scripting, like we saw with the MageCart uh, exploits, which were against Newegg and British Airways, um, it's without a doubt the worst one you could possibly have. And in this case, it was very interesting because it was on the payments page. So the idea is as soon as the user puts in all this credit card information, um, any other information inside there, as soon as he hits submit, all that data is sent to some a control server somewhere. And even cooler is that the attackers went to an even greater length to have relevant domains. Um, so for example, for Newegg, they, they had a domain newegstats.com slash global data, for example. So they actually had that as a very targeted attack um, that was super simple, but highly, highly, highly effective. Yeah, it, it's interesting. Do a lot of these newer attacks rely on the fact that in a modern website today, you'll likely be including other JavaScript libraries and or just JavaScript in general to access functionality from a third party site, right? That's the most common use case, correct? That's also one issue, like you mentioned. I mean, the British Airway page alone, like when RiskIQ analyzed this stuff, just to siphon through the scripts, they had like on the payments page, 30 other external scripts being loaded in there. Wow. And monitoring all those scripts and making sure everything's working right is a very, very tough job to do. Um, and even on a, a page as, as important as a payments, payments page, you think like, okay, these guys are rigor, rigorously testing this thing. Um, it still gets through and sits there for, you know, many, many weeks. And it, it's not super noisy. So it isn't trying to send a request on every key press. So that's one key 
uh, factor in there. And like we mentioned, the domain is very much tied to the target itself. So they want to make it look like, okay, this is just another marketing script that is mm. analyzing what I'm doing on the page what, just as soon as I make the payment. So very few people actually bat an eye until they actually take a closer look at it. And they are also serializing the data. So it's not like they are seeing credit card numbers flying over HTTP, which is another interesting point as well. Well, that's interesting. So rather than using an SSL connection, which would require a lot more work, and if it's not a valid certificate, might throw errors somewhere, they're using HTTP, but they're serializing the data. Oh, actually, no, they, they are actually using SSL and they're using a Komodo certificate, which is also another interesting point gotcha. of the, of the um, report itself. Is like this looks comp to, to many people and probably to some people from Newegg for like here, they, they think like this is legit, this looks good, this looks perfectly normal, um, especially at such big organizations. So that yeah. was another uh, weird thing over there is that it actually uses SSL. Um, and it uses a valid certificate. So it's like Let's Encrypt, which some people and browsers will look at and say, hmm, this might not be too great. It's actually a Komodo certificate and looks A-OK, -okay, which was also super, super weird. Interesting. Mm -hmm. what, what can organizations do to keep tabs on uh, you know, this type of attack? I mean, there's a lot of things when we talk about detection, right? I mean, there's having an inventory of what you're using and, and making sure nothing deviates from that. There's making sure that attackers aren't able to inject it and then there's detection like if they have injected it how do i detect that this attack has happened how do i scan my sites to make sure no one is doing this there's a few points we can we can go through so what's your take on that eugene definitely i mean it, it's a very tough thing to, to solve it's not, it's not like a security in general it's, it's more of a cycle um dependency management in general is very tough it's very very hard to keep track of all your dependencies and all your external scripts and what they're doing um, but assuming you do a good job over there, an issue we see is that, and it may be going off on a bit of a tangent, but security teams, and especially much bigger organizations, are very much detached from the um, development aspect and the mm. operations. So it, we'd have feedback loops that would be like weeks um, late from security teams and development back and forth. Um, whereas, in my opinion, this is why we're seeing roles like DevOps and DevSecOps emerging. Um, feedback loops need to be as quick as possible and as small as possible so that security teams and developers are able to pass on messages to each other and secure their applications much, much quicker. Um, and at a more fundamental level, um, like we mentioned, if you're going to be developing these applications, look at the frameworks and look at dependencies and the ecosystem and make sure that the foundation is solid. So make sure you're using um, very recognized dependencies um, used by many people that have been audited and battle tested. Um, and the same thing goes for frameworks. And with regards to security scans, like Akinetics, as much as you can, embed that into your software development lifecycle. So have those scans run at least on a daily basis. So as soon as something new is introduced, you catch it. Something like a payments page, and what they notice is that it hadn't been changed, give or take, 2012. Mm. So, you know, something like that should still be, you, 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 they probably take it for granted, like, okay, nothing changed, everything's okay. But you should still be testing that thing every single time as frequently as possible. So I think my recommendation is check your dependencies, uh, reduce friction between security and development, and make sure your frameworks um, are as secure as possible.
and take out as much work as you can from a develop from the development team in terms of their security. Yeah, I, I love all those recommendations. I also think that there is um, somewhat of a skills gap, right, that needs to go in both directions. And anytime we talk about some of these more advanced web application attacks um, that developers and security folks alike, like the, de the developers don't understand the security risks and impacts because someone's using their application and what they built in a way they would have never thought was possible. And security folks don't understand how the development lifecycle is doing and what all the technologies that are in use today to support a DevSecOps environment. I mean, the, the tool chain is, is, is pretty massive. So, you know, by working together, I, I think they can both educate each other, be involved in their process. And then I think a plan for, um, you know, some training and, you know, first awareness and then some training so that developers can learn a little about like what security bugs look like. And it's a constant um, moving kind of target for that. And I think at the same time, security practitioners to understand what tools developers are using so that we can interject security and, and make their lives easier, I think is really should be the goal as, as you alluded to. Yeah, that, that's a very good point actually. Education and awareness in that if, think about it this way, if a security guy goes to, you know, Bob the developer with a 300 page PDF yeah. saying, you have X, Y, and Z, you must fix them immediately. You know, that's going to, apart from disheartening the guy, it's going to just be a lot of work in huge chunks. So Bob thinks, I've been doing a good job for two, three months. Mm. And all of a sudden, the security guy comes in and says, no, for the past two, three months, you've been doing a terrible job um, and you need to fix all these security issues. Um, and, and the security guy needs to understand you can't do that. That's just too much work um, in too short a period of time. And we're talking about security here. So two, three months is way too late. And from the developer, development point of view, he needs to, at least developers need to know that when they get a issue, they know like, okay, this is from Acunetics, um, which more or less does, you know, web application scanning. And the information it's giving to me, I should be able to reproduce um, that particular vulnerability, which goes back to the point of reduce the feedback time because what happens is um, developers will push new updates, um, security team do tests for two weeks, and then they come back and say, hey, listen, this is broken, this is broken, this is broken. But in two weeks, the website would have changed so much that they wouldn't be able to either reproduce the same vulnerability or they would find it in some other different part of the application entirely, which introduces more friction and more delays for the most part. That's awesome because I, I think that one thing we lose sight of in security is we have to be working as security professionals in the same way that developers are working, right? And I think so many security teams are working in the traditional waterfall development model. Mm -hmm. And what you just described, Eugene, was security has to be in alignment with the way developers are working today in a, in a DevOps environment, which I think is a very great way to simplify some of the miscommunication. Uh, and it, it's certainly possible. And I, I think it, you know, if you do it right, uh, it'll be a little bit of work up front, but it's a much better relationship moving forward because you're breaking down work into smaller chunks and there's alignment mm -hmm. with the way the two teams are working, which is, is, is great. Exactly. And, and it's more because when we speak DevOps and DevSecOps, we always think about these platforms, these toolkits, you know, Jenkins and other CI mm -hmm. platforms. Um, first, you must instill the philosophy behind it, um, which is security is for people. So we are here to help you. We don't want you to ship two months late. 
We just want to make sure you ship a very secure uh, product. Mm. So that's the first part. And this doesn't apply only to web application. This is in general. This is your sure. infrastructure, any operations, web apps, web services, uh, mobile apps, which also were vulnerable with the new egg and British Airways. All, also, their mobile apps were vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So it, it, like, like you mentioned, reduce the feedback loop, reduce that friction, and you're able to go through all those tasks and all those security issues much, much quicker, especially when you work hand in hand. Fantastic. Eugene, thank you so much for appearing on this episode of Hack Naked News. I encourage everyone to visit acunetics.com forward slash Security Weekly. I love, I love the page. I love the logo. It says Acunetics as seen on Security Weekly. Uh, we love working with you folks. Uh, so check it out, acunetics.com forward slash Security Weekly. Eugene, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Paul. Thank you everyone for listening and watching.